What's up, everybody? This is Anthony from Texas Blues Alley. You're listening to the Setlist Podcast, episode number five. This podcast is just a way for me to keep in touch with all of you, let you know what's going on at Texas Blues Alley, share some thoughts. Got a couple things to talk about today, but before we get into all that, I'm going to clear my mind a little bit. enough about that uh what's up everybody hope you're doing good right now it's it's a beautiful thursday here in state college pennsylvania a little bit humid so i am uh, keeping cool in my newly air-conditioned upstairs part of the texas blues alley barn talked about that in the first episode if you missed that you can go back and hear the kind of the backstory of what this barn is and you know what i'm doing with it like I said, it's recently air-conditioned, so I'm staying at a cool, uh, probably hovering around 70, which is about the highest temperature that I can stand to work in. I must have uh, northern blood or something. I don't deal so well with heat. Uh, but I mentioned, uh, got a few things to talk about uh, in the intro. First thing I want to talk about is this software I have here, Bias FX. Uh, made by a company called Positive Grid. And uh, this is a amp and pedal software. I've tried a couple of them over the years. Uh, most recently, I'm trying out this one, Bias Effects. Uh, right now, I'm using a preset called Dumble Clon or something like that. And I've got kind of a Clon style pedal that model that I'm pushing it with here. Go ahead and turn that on. Presets have a noise gate. That must be what people do when they don't have Zex coil pickups to cancel out the hum. Drink more coffee. See, I feel like I say that every podcast. Anyway, that's enough of that uh, guitar noodling. All right, so I've hung up my guitar. Let's get back into the podcast here. I can almost hear some of you saying, Hey, Anthony, I know that you own a bunch of amps. Why in the world would you be messing around with uh, guitar software on the computer? And the simple answer is, number one, I'm a nerd. So I'm, excuse me, I'm fascinated by uh, anything that can be made to sound like an actual convincing guitar amp. Uh, So that's the main reason, but um, sometimes it's not always practical to have a a big old amp up here, even a 20-watt amp cranked up and playing. uh, Sometimes when I'm in the middle of putting together a backing track or something, it's just easier to have, you know, if if I got a uh, 
an idea for something I want to record. I don't want to fool around with, you know, because who knows how I left the stuff the last time I was I was using it. So now I can just have a template and logic and open it up. It's already preset with this AMP software in it. I just plug in and I can capture it. And then I can go back later and lay down a real guitar track if I'm serious. Um, so that's why I use it. And uh, I have no uh, feelings for or against uh, this bias effects over any of the other ones I've played. I, I found, uh, what's the other one? Amplitude? Amplitude. Yeah, from IK Multimedia. I've used that one for years, and uh, that was one of the first ones that I used that I felt captured the feeling of Fender ampl- amplifiers correctly. Um, some of the packages that were out I don't know, four or five years ago, they would do all right with the high-gain stuff, with Marshall stuff, Sometimes with Vox, but the Fender stuff, man, it just it it didn't feel right. There was a certain shimmer to it that they didn't have, and I felt that the Amplitude stuff got that right, you know, before some of the other ones did. These days, pretty much any modeling software you can buy that's made within the past couple of years does a pretty good job, and it's only going to get better. So this is just the latest one that I've tried, and I like it a lot. You know, it's useful. It gives me a lot of different options when I'm uh, trying to record stuff. So anyway, that's enough nerd talk about my uh, guitar software here. What else am I going to talk about today? I uh, wrote a couple of things down. Um, first, I want to talk about what's new at the site. So if I just pop that open here, texasbluesalley.com. Uh, once again, uh, the set list at Texas Blues Alley is kind of like the place where you can go to, to catch up on anything that's been added to the site. So... You know, if you've been around, you understand the layout. You know, you got all these different places along Texas Blues Alley. You got the woodshed, which is for courses and learning, old tone zone for gear, the stage for music, and then uh, headquarters for uh, information. And so stuff can be added to any of those sections around the site at any point. And instead of having to go five places to kind of catch up on it, you just go to the texasbluesalley.com slash set list, and everything new that's been added will show up there. And then you just click away, and it'll whisk you away to the right part of the site. So um, I guess the newest big thing is, uh, first of all, Free Lesson Friday that I put out, I guess now it's about two weeks ago, called How to Mix Chords with Blues Licks. This is one of those lessons that I put very little planning into. I just kind of sat down and did a big brain dump. And I don't know, these days it's typical for a lesson that I put out to get Maybe anywhere between eight to ten thousand views in the first week on YouTube. This one is two weeks old and has twenty-seven thousand views, so that's uh, ahead of most of my videos by quite a bit, and it seems to have uh, resonated with people. Um, so you can find that in the free lesson section of the Woodshed. Um, real cool, useful guide for uh, little two-note chords that you can mix in with your licks while you're soloing in blues. And then the other big thing that I put out uh, just last week was uh, a mini course called The Wind Cries Mary's... Wow. The Wind Cries Mary Song Guide. And uh, with mini courses, the the first lesson is free. Uh, That way, everybody gets something, and then uh, the rest of the course can be purchased uh, for $9.99. Hendrix is known for kind of his fireworks and his playing, but his playing in this song is really gentle and restrained, but there's a certain... There's a certain feel to the song that I really wanted to try and capture. And what I focused on in this course was the rhythm. Uh, So in lesson three of the song, uh, one of the things I noticed is that different times Hendrix would play, he was playing over a progression where 
the chords actually go down, like in this case from five to four, but it sounded like he was actually going up on the fretboard. And that always fascinated me. And so this felt like a good song to really dive into that. So uh, in lesson three, I go through a couple of the progressions in the song and I focus on how you can create a feeling of movement one way or the other, uh, going from the five to the four to the one. And then likewise with some of the other progressions. And then there's always those Hendrix-style embellishments in there that everybody loves because uh, it's kind of what he was known for. Uh, and then the last part, there's uh, some logical parts of the solo that I kind of explain, kind of the building blocks that he uh, used to put it together. So anyway, that course is out. Uh, you can watch the first lesson for free. Easiest way to find it is just go uh, texasbluesalley.com slash woodshed and then slash mini. And that will take you to the list of all of our mini courses. And this will be the, that'll be the most recent one there, the Wind Cries Mary Song Guide. So that's what's new. Uh, there's another thing that's new that uh, I haven't announced yet for the uh, members of the locals. Um, back when I launched the locals program, uh, I had the Sound Slice, I, I teamed up with the Sound Slice people. They have this uh, fantastic interactive tablature player. Basically, I can put tablature for my courses into their system. And then you've always had the ability to sync up audio or video with the tablature so that as it plays back, you can see the audio or video. But uh, when I first built the uh, TXBA Pro player uh, for the locals to use, their video capabilities were less than optimal in the sense that it didn't work as well on small screens. Um, and so I went and I got all of my scores for all of my courses into the SoundSlice system. And I just did it with audio because there was no way to put, at that time, there was no way to put in the video demo and then mark it as uh, don't, not available. So I just went through and did them all just with audio. So then they go and they add some fixes for ways to control the video to make it, you know, kind of lay out better on small screens. And so then I was stuck. Well, now I've got 30 plus courses with multiple scores per course uh, to add these videos to. Well, fortunately, uh, I teamed up with an old friend of mine uh, that uh, used to be pretty good friends many years ago, but uh, he's gotten back into guitar and was looking for some uh, extra work to pick up. And so I trained him how to do that. He burned right through that list. He got all those videos in there. He got them all synced up. And so now, members of the TXBA locals, if they uh, go and watch any course that has interactive tablature, it's just about all of them, uh, not some of my older ones, but any of the soloing courses that I did that have tablature, now you will find an option for video, which will allow you to watch the video in sync with the tablature. Um, for some of you, that's not even going to matter because you don't use tablature. You can count me in that group. It's not something that I personally use for learning. But for some people, that is a great tool. All right, so after a uh, brief interruption of four or five hours, I'm back and I'm going to finish this doggone podcast. What was my five-hour break, you ask? Uh, believe it or not, I had to install an aeration system in my pond. I forgot that my dad was coming over today to help me with that, so... So that's done, and uh, my dirty pond water is now being freshly aerated the way it's supposed to be. So that's done. Uh, next thing I got on my list here I want to talk about is a little thing called the uh, Great American Guitar Show, I think. Let me just Google that. Great American 
Guitar Show. Yes, put on by a place called B3 Vintage, which I guess is a thing in Philadelphia. And uh, we were on a little camping trip down about an hour from the Philly area this past weekend, so I kind of headed out while everybody else stayed at the campground on Saturday, went down to the guitar show down at the, uh, where's it held? Greater Philadelphia Expo Center. And I go to a uh, vintage guitar show. Um, believe it or not, I'm not actually going for the uh, vintage guitars. Because, uh, well, quite frankly, I don't have the uh, kind of cash you need to get into the vintage guitar game. Not when the uh, good stuff starts at like $10,000. No thank you. I've got a barn to build here. I don't have that kind of dough. But the cool thing about these shows, uh, part of the reason I go, is that sometimes uh, among the uh, overpriced uh, vintage guitars, they have uh, amps. And uh, once in a while, something kind of unusual will show up. So if it's like a grand or under, you know, maybe I'll think about it if it's something I really want in the collection. So this year, I wasn't really looking for anything in particular, but uh, the day started off great uh, because I got to the show, and uh, as I'm getting out of my car, I kid you not, somebody was on their way to their car, and uh, I had just gotten out of the car, started walking towards the convention center, and the guy yells out, Texas Blues Alley! And it kind of caught me by surprise, because most of the time when I see somebody who's watched my videos or something like that, the first thing I hear is, Stevie Snacks! Because that name is kind of a, well, it's six years of history when I made the transition. Uh, but it felt good. It felt good to have somebody, uh, you know, know me as Texas Blues Alley instead of uh, Stevie Snacks. And then uh, a couple other people in the show uh, knew who I was. But the, the craziest thing, well, let me talk about what I bought first. So uh, you'll see this at some point on the site. But uh, there was this beautiful kind of uh, flame-looking Stratocaster with flame maple neck and everything like that. It was a 90s uh, photo flame uh, Stratocaster made by Fender Japan back in the 90s. And uh, I didn't know this at the time, but that's not actually flame maple. They uh, apparently came up with some sort of process back then for applying the flame-looking decals to regular wood. And... I got to tell you, like, I'm no expert, but just knowing printing technology and how it's evolved, I cannot fathom how they got this to look as good as it did. Uh, I mean, the feel is a little bit different than what you'd get with a glossy guitar. It's not, it doesn't feel quite as uh, sticky, if that makes sense, but it doesn't feel like uh I don't know, maybe they put the decals on and then did the the finish over top of it. I don't really know. Uh, but it looks incredible. Like it's So I bought it. It was like 900 bucks. So I bought it just because it's a weird guitar. You don't see too many of them around. And it was in incredible condition. Uh, the only complaint is that it's got uh, tiny little baby-sized frets on, but that's something that can be changed. Um, but it, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. It has a nice uh, big round neck. I wouldn't say it's as big as the neck on an SRV, but uh, definitely bigger than that toothpick modern C neck that all the strats have today. So 
that was a cool little find. I, I found that after, you know, about three minutes after walking into the show. But here was the coolest part of the show. So uh, I'm walking down what I think was the last aisle of all the booths, and I see uh, I see these amps. The brand name is Homestead Amps. All one word, Homestead. And I'm like, I have one of those weird deja vu, deja vu, deja vu moments uh, that you have sometimes. And I'm just standing there, staring at the amps, staring at the kind of, uh, you know, whatever the cabinets are covered in and everything. And I'm thinking, like, why do I feel like I was just looking at these amps the other, just this week? Like, why is this such a deja vu moment for me? So then uh, one of the ladies that was working in the booth, I got to talking to her, and I was telling her, like, I don't know why, but the logo, the name, everything sounds weirdly familiar, and I have no idea why. So she's like, oh, you can give me a little bit of the history. Turns out uh, the guy who runs Homestead Amps, Peter McMahon, I believe his name is, he uh, worked with Cesar Diaz, who uh, was famously uh, the amp technician for Stevie Ray Vaughan, and eventually started his own amplifier company, Diaz uh, Amplification, I think, or as electronics or something. Anyway, Caesar passed away a couple years ago, and Peter uh, essentially took over the business and is now uh, had been you know doing business under that name, I guess. But recently, just kind of relaunched at his homestead amp, so he can kind of put his own mark on it. So anyway, this is just stuff that I found out as I'm talking to uh, talking to the lady at the booth. But again, I still have no idea why I know what these amps are. Why does this logo look so doggone familiar? So then I sit down, and I start playing, and a friendly gentleman comes over and starts talking to me, and uh, he doesn't give any indication that he knows who I am or anything like that, and, uh, you know, it happens so rarely, it's not like I'm sitting there expecting, you know, anybody to, you know, know what I do or anything, so I'm just sitting there playing, or actually at this point I was still waiting for my turn to play, and I had just picked up a Strat and was kind of noodling around some other guy was playing. And so this gentleman sits down, starts talking to me. And uh, I start telling him the same thing I told her, which is, you know, I walked past the booth, I saw the logo, and I felt like I had this weird sensation that I had just been researching these amps, but I don't know why. Turns out he had posted a video to the Texas Blues Alley Facebook page this week, and he just kind of tagged me in it. Um you know, that happens once in a while. Somebody's playing something. You know, they watch my lessons. they hoping I'll check it out. So, And uh, I don't always get a chance to go through all those messages, but I saw his, and I went and looked at it, and it turns out that he was demonstrating one of these amps and this video that he put on Facebook. And I sat there and looked at it, and he had in his description that these amps are made by Peter McMahon, who, uh, let me just make sure I'm saying his name right. Peter McMahon, yes. Oh, okay, all right, all right, settle down. Whoa, okay. Uh, and his video had in the description that these amps were made by Peter McMahon, who worked with Cesar Diaz, and I was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, I went and I looked, and I guess I kind of chalked it up to, uh, eh, you know, maybe someday I'll check them out, you know? And I uh, didn't give, you know, went in one side of my brain out the other immediately. I didn't notice that they're located here in Pennsylvania or anything like that. So here I am at the show. I walk past the booth and I see their logo and I have that weird deja vu feeling. 
and he's sitting there explaining to me that he's the one who put that video up. They had been talking apparently for months that they want to, you know, have me check out these amps because of the obvious, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan connection and uh, didn't know I was going to be at the show. I didn't know that this amp company was anywhere close to Pennsylvania and uh, we run into each other at this show. Now, keep in mind, this is the same show that I discovered in 2008. I discovered Creation Audio Labs and their uh, kind of unique Holy Fire overdrive pedal, which I like, and their uh, super clean MK423 Boost. They were kind of a, a weird fish in a big pond at this show because they were you know, they had something brand new at this show where everybody's interested in vintage guitars. And then in 2012, I discovered Zex Coil pickups at this show. And now in 2013, I hook up with the Homestead Amp guys. And so uh, we go into one of the demo rooms there, and Peter tells me all these stories about meeting Caesar and working with him and uh, just, you know, different stuff from, from working in the industry, some curious details about projects that he's worked on. And I did get a chance to play the amps. Now I didn't have, I didn't have my own guitar or anything like that, but they sounded awesome. And, uh, I'm going to have a chance to, to work with him in the future. He's going to bring some amps out here to the barn and I'm going to get to play them all and make some videos for you guys. But anyway, that's what I love about going to these shows because you just never know who you're going to meet and, uh, being somebody who, has his face all over the internet in a certain corner, uh, if you're interested in blues guitar. Uh, once in a while, I'll run into somebody who knows what I do, and uh, this was uh, kind of a nice treat because I, I was just expecting to have it be real low-key. But anyway, that was a cool thing about that show, and uh, we'll see some Homestead amps on Texas Blues Alley at some point in the future. Um, what else is there to talk about? Oh, yeah. Okay, so here's a little thing about the uh, the barn again. Uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing. So if you looked at, uh, well, first of all, I'll put some pictures on this episode's page at Texas Blues Alley. So just go to texasbluesalley.com slash setlist and look for uh, podcast episode number five. And I'll have some pictures on this show page. Um, so the front of the barn, the one where, you know, I showed pictures of building a new deck in front because the old one was rotted and everything. So leading down to the front of the barn, there had been this kind of kind of half-hearted attempt at making a driveway. And it was kind of level at the top, but then it got really steep. And uh, pretty much if you managed to back a truck down there, if you didn't have four-wheel drive, you'd get stuck on this hill because there's moss growing through the gravel and everything like that. It was, it was a mess. And so uh, when we replaced this deck... Um, we knew that you know maybe there was an opportunity to do something on that deck, kind of using it as a stage because we extended it out further. Uh, if we wanted to do something outside, you know, I don't know. We're having a, an event here in September for some friends and uh, just figured that it would be nice to, to utilize that deck. So we're going to have some seating up past this little driveway, clearing out a little section of the woods there. And uh, the day before uh, the carpenter guy is going to be coming with this bobcat to clear off this hill you know we were going to kind of um have the uh, bobcat you know clear out branches and stuff like that and as i'm sitting there looking at the hill i'm like i don't need this to be a driveway oh my god i'm not pulling in a riding mower or anything like that uh, I could just put in a little uh, graveled area right off the main driveway, right next to the new porch deck thingy here, 
and that'll be much easier for people to pull right in if I need to unload equipment or something like that. And I was like, this is stupid. You know, I had ordered like 12 tons of gravel to redo this whole hill. And I realized, well, this is stupid. I don't need this to be a driveway. I don't need people to be driving down here anymore since I'm not, you know, using it for any sort of vehicles. And I was like, well, then why are we going to build all these uh, benches up past the area that's the driveway? This is dumb. I was like, well, he's got the bobcat here. We ought to just smooth out this hill and put all the seating right here in front of the right here in front of the barn. And it's such an obvious idea in retrospect. Uh, but at the time, it was kind of like one of those moments of clarity, like, oh, this could be like a little uh, amphitheater. So uh, I talked to the uh, carpenter guy who's also going to be working the Bobcat, and I kind of explained to him, and we were both like, duh, of course that's what we're going to do. So he spent a day on this thing, smoothing out this hill, uh, just making it a nice gradual decline instead of a flat and then sharp drop off right before the barn uh smooth that all out and once it was smooth and we got to looking at it, we're like oh yeah we're gonna put a, a row of benches straight up the middle right here we're gonna put some angled benches over here we're gonna build a little outdoor bar over this area and all of a sudden i'm looking out the front of the barn and i've got like the perfect venue for like small outdoor concerts maybe uh I don't know, do a little family movie night with some of our friends or something like that. Uh, I don't know, but it feels right, and uh, it looks amazing. So that's the status of the uh, the barn. Nice little surprise there. So that's coming along. Maybe I'll shoot some lessons out there uh, once uh, once everything's finished and we get the mulch all in and everything like that. But anyway, I'll have pictures of that, all of that on the uh, this episode's page. So I think that's just about uh, everything I have to... Uh, Now, that does kind of take me to one last thing I want to talk about, and that is the whole kind of ties into what I was talking about with having the little outdoor stage there. And, you know, in addition to the stuff that we're building inside is that, you know, stuff ain't free. It costs money to build all that stuff. But I don't know. There's like not an urgency, but there's a there's like I feel compelled to do this uh, having the barn. I feel. There's something inside of me that feels compelled to create a really cool venue type thing here. And I think what it is, is that as I get older, and I think this happens to people as they get older, you realize just how much of the stuff that is supposed to make you happy just is a bunch of garbage. And it's just like sugar. It has a quick high and then wears off. And, you know... Being with the kind of business that I run, I spend a decent amount of time on social media and reading comments and emails and and great comments and great emails. They they do make you feel good, but man, it wears off really really quickly. And uh, as I look back over nine years of of being in this business, I remember a few of the emails, but more or less the emails and the comments all kind of run together. And it just feels like one kind of mostly continuous happy, you know, thing that has happened continuously. But it doesn't really stick in my mind. What does stick in my mind is experiences that I've had. Uh, So like in 2008, meeting Creation Audio Labs. Uh, In 2012, going down to South by Southwest 
and uh, jamming with uh, JT Coldfire that I talked about in the one episode. Uh, 2012, I also went and taught at the Midland uh, Blues Festival, uh, the Tall City Blues Fest. Um, just different experiences that I've had in and around music. And that's what I remember. And I think that, like I was saying, as I get older, I realize that experiences and people and experiences with people are what you remember. And, uh, you know, I live in a, in a little college town here. State College is a college town, Penn State University. And uh, the, the music that, that stays popular here uh, is mostly, you know, cover band stuff. It's stuff that people want to hear. Um, and I think cover bands do well. But uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, dedication to quality uh music original music here and over the years i've been in town here since like 95 so over the past 20 years there's been different uh uprisings of support for original music and stuff like that uh, but for the most part if you're not a cover band it's hard to play for a regular crowd here uh and make any money at it and uh what that does is it makes it really hard to have a compelling experience watching music that you love here because there just aren't the bands to do it. Now we do have uh, like a theater here that brings in larger bands and stuff like that, but I'm talking about something that you can experience on a regular basis. Um, And so, I mean, that's not to denigrate any of the bands here in state college. It's just, uh, you know, the kind of music that I would want to go see on a regular basis, the way that I would want to see it is is hard to experience here because it's a fairly small town and the support from the uh from the club owners just isn't there because, you know, they gotta they gotta turn a, a they gotta turn a profit too, you know? And uh I feel like having this barn here and having the opportunity to do not just my own shows, but shows for other people that I respect. Uh, I want to create experiences with music that are hard to come by uh, other ways. Um, Especially for the people in my audience who live places where there's like no music scene where they can experience blues, like living in remote areas of whatever country. Or just living in a country where blues just does, is non-existent, you know. Uh, I feel like video, high definition video, and good quality audio, good lighting, a good atmosphere and vibe to the stage. You put all those things together, and you can create something that people can experience over and over and over again. Once it's recorded. And uh, that's really what is driving much of what I'm doing here is I wish that I could sit down and watch a great blues band in a great club with studio quality audio, good lighting. I, I want to do that all the time, but I can't because that doesn't exist here. Uh, but I'm going to make that happen. You know, 
That's how we're going to build it. And uh, we're going to bring that music to all of you. We're going to, uh, it's going to start obviously with me doing stuff because, you know, I'm right here. But uh, as it grows, you know, I got some people that I want to bring in here. And uh, people that uh, don't have a lot of video of them performing. Legendary people. Like I'm talking about legendary people who maybe are not like A-list blues guys, but have A-list chops. And it's criminal that they don't have high-quality video of them available for people to enjoy. And so that's what I want to do, man. I want to I want to leverage this barn, and I want to leverage uh, the experience that I've had over the last nine years learning about video and audio production and I want to create experiences, you know. I want m- music to be captured with video in incredible quality so that you can experience that uh, even if you're stuck somewhere where the music scene sucks, you know. So, yeah, that's uh, my aspirational rambling for the day. Anyway, I'm going to call it quits for this episode. Uh, I hope some of my rambling there was useful for you but uh you know i'm still figuring out what i'm doing with this show uh so don't uh don't hold it against me if this was a waste of your time i'm learning i'm getting there uh next time i'll answer a few more questions maybe we'll do a question and answer episode next time if you've got a question you want me to address just uh list it in the comments on this episode's page or hit me up on twitter texas blues alley or even send me an email i read those too Uh, Anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.